Amen. Well, last week we, um, we looked at so, uh, so many unnamed faithful servants in Scripture. Again, if you were here, we went through even Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we, we talked about how, how God has used through the decades, through the centuries, through the millennia, uh, so many people whose names we don't have. We, we know Paul and Barnabas like we've been studying, but again, we, we, we saw this many others also. And again, such an, a great encouragement for, for me, for you, for us. People don't have to know our names. They don't have to know who we are for, us to, for, for God to note what we're doing and to reward us uh, for faithful service. And again, we were encouraged to be found faithful among those unnamed servants. Um, this week, we're, we're going to turn to the genesis of the second missionary journey of Paul and I want to just start off reading Acts chapter 15, if you have your Bibles there, if not on the screen, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. That was the vision. That was the mission. That was what their goal was to do as they left out on this second journey. Look at verse 37, though. Barnabas was like, all right, cool, man. I'll go, get, I'll go get John Mark, and uh, we'll be back, and we'll get ready and go. He wanted to take John, called Mark, along with him. But Paul said, whoa, 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 hold up, man. Cool your jets. I don't think so. <laughs> this ain't happening. This, he's not going with us. Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia. And had not gone with them to the work, which is interesting because they had done some things along the way before John Mark returned back. But it's interesting that he, he said that was almost like the, the preparation before the work. We got into the work, but he wasn't even a part of that. He deserted us. He, he left us. Look at verse 39. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. This is the two men that in Antioch, the Holy Spirit made clear to the, the elders there that they were to be separated for a work that the Holy Spirit called them to, right? They, they go and they do this amazing work under the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and God uses them in amazing ways to start churches in Asia Minor and what we know as that first missionary journey. This was a great team. They were a great team. Yet they come to this second journey, and we see that they don't agree on this one issue about taking Barnabas' cousin with them, the one who deserted. And they were so much in, in disagreement, such a sharp disagreement, that they parted ways. And Barnabas ended up taking Mark with him, and they sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left and went back on the journey that they said, that, hey, this is what we need to do, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord that Silas is talking about. And, his, and he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. All right, let's pray real quick, and then we're going to jump into this. Father, thank you for this time again. Thank you for uh, everything we've already experienced, the time of worship and song, uh, the special. Uh, we're so thankful for our deacons, God. We thank you that you've given them as gifts to this church, and we pray that uh, you'll just continue to use them in your service, continue to use them up for your honor and your glory, that they will continue to serve as uh, faithful examples to this flock uh, of what serving each other looks like. Uh, the Bible tells us that we are not to use our liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but with love we are to serve one another. And so I pray you would just continue to use these men uh, as examples uh, of that. 
to serve one another in love. And uh, Lord, we ask that you would bless the message this morning. Bless our, our response. Lord, help us to respond to your spirit, to your word, in a way that you want us to, um, each one of us and us collectively. And Lord, I pray if somebody's here that uh, is lost, they, they aren't 100% positive that heaven's going to be their eternal home. Uh, maybe they're going on a prayer. Maybe they're hoping so. Uh, if there's anybody like that, Lord, I pray before they leave today. Uh, they'd make that right. They, they would ask somebody. They'd come forward at the invitation. Uh, they would receive that free gift. They would entrust you with their life. And they would walk out of here knowing that they're going to heaven when they die. And we're asking you to bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we see this, this sharp, the sharp disagreement. And, and again, such a sharp disagreement, the Bible says that they separated from one another. Which is kind of hard to imagine. These, these guys have the Holy Spirit in them. They're, they're, they're Christians. They, they've been serving one another. They've been through, I mean, deep, deep, deep valleys. They've been through high, I mean, it's, it's like when you think about the army, you even think about ministering now. When you go through something with somebody, you're like, man, how in the world could that ever separate them? But this one issue caused them to have such a sharp disagreement that they, they parted ways. And there are so many lessons, so many angles that we can take on this, so many things that we can take away. And I shared before uh, last week that in, in my institute classes, we used to have discussions on this specifically. Uh, as I was teaching through Paul's letters, we'd go through the different areas and regions and where these, these letters uh, were written from and where they were written to and why they were written. We'd go through all of that stuff. And anytime that we came back to this point, I used to ask the, the question to each institute class, who was who right? Who was right in this issue? The Bible says they had such sharp disagreement, they parted ways, and they went their own directions. But who was right in, in this issue? Who, who took the right place? And remember, the Bible has very clearly made it, it, it known that Paul is the leader at this point in time. We also know that, that Barnabas' name, his nickname, I'm sorry, is Son of Encouragement. Right? He, was, he was known for his encouraging ways. He was known, I would say, probably for his soft heart and for his, his compassion for, for, for people and, and to help them along and encourage them. We also know by God's word that Paul was the apostle very clearly called by Christ for this specific work, the apostle of the Gentiles. We also know that, Paul, that Barnabas was the initial leader in this, so much so that he's the one that went and got Paul Brought him back to Antioch. They served together. They went on the first journey down the, uh, to, to Jerusalem to take care package. Went back, served faithfully until the Holy Spirit called him out and sent him on that first missionary journey. I believe that Barnabas was passionate to bring people along on their walks. He had this desire to, to, to see them be encouraged and uplifted and, and be restored and all those things. And so the question is, who was right? Or were they both wrong? Was there a right? Were they both wrong or were they both right? Is there a right and a wrong here? What's the takeaway? I think there are so many different takeaways, but I think something vital to remember and to know in all this, and we'll, we'll break all this down uh, as we go through this, but I think number one, point number one in your notes, I'm going to get this established right off the bat, is this, God's plan will be accomplished even in our shortcomings. Because, man, we have so many shortcomings. And, and, and no matter how, how good of a servant you are, how faithful a servant you are, how much God has used you, how, much he, how many people he's used you to reach. Again, we look at the Apostle Paul. 
We look at Barnabas. No, no matter how, how, how much of a useful instrument you are to God, the reality is every single one of us has shortcomings. Every single one of us falls short at some point in time or many points in time. And the amazing thing is, is that God will still accomplish his plan even with our shortcomings. Now, whether it was that they didn't handle it exactly how they should have handled it, or whether they allowed emotions to play a big factor in this, God's plan kept marching on, right? It, it, it caused a problem. There was an obvious relational problem that was going on right here. Now, I want to stop and say this, too. This is not to concede that we can just be mess-ups intentionally, reckless in our relationships, reckless with our emotions, or that we can handle matters recklessly. And it doesn't matter. Well, because God's plan is going to be accomplished even if I'm not nice to people. God's plan is going to be, uh, you know, accomplished even if I don't re reconcile or restore this relationship the way I should. God's plan is still going to be accomplished even if, if I don't like them. No. We know that we're given directives in scriptures and in the New Testament specifically, largely by the hand of Paul under the Spirit's inspiration, interestingly enough, on how to relate to one another and to others in a God-honoring way. And I, I want to remind you of this in our theme cast that we had a few weeks back in Colossians chapter 3. This is one of those texts that we have that's such a valuable resource for us as Christians on how to relate to one another and how to handle matters and how to deal with, with, with issues and, and how to move forward in a healthy, God-honoring way. Colossians chapter 3, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, that's our theme, raised with Christ. Keep seeking things above. Don't stop where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God is going to come on the sons of disobedience. And in them, you also once while used to live that life in sin, given over to your fleshly members when you were living in them. But now you also put them aside, Put, put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, put it all aside, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who has been renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. We said Barnabas did that. Kindness, Barnabas seemed to have done that. Humility, Barnabas seemed to have done that. Gentleness, patience. Well, these seem like all the things, but Paul's the one writing the letter. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever, whoever has a complaint against anyone, man, I just don't like how they handled that. I don't like how they treated me. I don't like how they're doing this. I don't like that bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against one another, just as the Lord forgave you, you should also do the same. Beyond all these things, put on love, 
which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Again, this is the Spirit inspiring the Apostle Paul to write these things later than the account that we're seeing this morning. We know that this was going on, and eventually the Apostle Paul would write this letter to the Colossian church. So with that, and with this in chapter 4, look at what it says in chapter 4. Aristarchus, Aristarchus, sorry, my fellow prisoner sends you his greetings and also Barnabas' cousin, Mark. About whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And then, we, and, and listen to this in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and, and, and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. He's talking to Timothy. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with, all, with great patience and instruction, for the time will come in the end times that they will not endure sound doctrine, but want, wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for them teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they'll turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. The Apostle Paul was at the very end of his life writing this. This is why I'm reading this. I fought the good fight. I finished the course, I've kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon. He wanted to see Timothy again. And here's the reason why, he said. Demas has left me. Having loved this present world, he's deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And look at these next words. Pick up Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. <laughs> I love this. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously op opposed our teaching. At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Isn't this amazing? It's almost like this, this, this turmoil, this, this tug of war. These people are against me. These people deserted me. But you know what? That guy will be repaid by God. These people who deserted me may not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely in his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we read this, this letter from, from, from the apostle, again, from the Holy Spirit. The apostle Paul writes it to the, the, the Colossian believers we, we see this, this almost last letter that, that Paul writes to Timothy at the end of his life and says, hey, I want you to, well, the, the letter to Colossians, he said, hey, Mark's with me. And then, and then he says later to Timothy, hey, bring, bring Mark because he's profitable. At some point, we know then from the time that Paul says, no, we ain't doing Mark. <laughs> we're, we're not bringing Mark along with us. 
to these letters that he wrote, there was a change. Mark grew up, Mark matured, he apologized, he reconciled, something happened. Paul's mind, Paul's heart was different towards Mark being a help, a benefit, an encouragement in the ministry. It's interesting that we can simply take our Bibles and flip pages and we can read what ha- happened, right? We, we can read in Acts chapter 15 what we're reading, flip over to Colossians, flip over to Timothy, and see exactly what happened. But what we don't know in these pages is how long it took. How long did this take from the time that Paul said he's not going? And Barnabas says he is going. Paul says he's not going. He deserted us. We got to go back and do this work. And he's not coming with us right now. Barnabas says, look, if he's not going, then I'm not going. Paul says, fine. I'll take Silas. You do your own thing. But we're going to go on this mission. And Mark's not going. Something, there's a time frame from that to when Paul's writing Colossians says, Mark's with me. He's writing to Timothy, hey, bring Mark. He's, he's, a, he's a useful servant, man. What was the time between those two things? How long did it take? Well, we know, according to history, Colossians was written approximately in 60 to 62 A.D. This second missionary journey started approximately in 51 A.D. And you can do the math. Somewhere around nine or ten years. Now, we don't know that something didn't happen before then. We're not told maybe at, at year one or year two that there was some reconciliation that went on and, and everything was fine and, and Paul just wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit to write something until he wrote something to the, the Colossians or ministry didn't bring them back together again until 60 or 62 AD or whatever. And we could talk a, a long time about you know, the, the amount of time that went on. But there is a question that comes to my mind in this. What, was it because it took that long for them to get reconciled? It, it, was, it, t- was it truly 10 years or was it five years? Or was it truly, did they wait that long? Did it take that long for them to get reconciled? Or was it that Mark really was that immature in the beginning and it took that long for him to get to the point that he was a faithful, ready servant for the mission work like this. Again, the initial question pops to the surface. Who was right? Who, who was right in this? Paul goes on. And Scripture records the missionary journey of Paul. Not Barnabas. A large portion of the New Testament is penned by the Apostle Paul. We don't have a whole lot of info in Scripture about what happens to Barnabas and Mark immediately after this. But in Scripture, we have a lot of information of what happens with Paul and Silas. Yet in the end, Mark is beneficial to Paul in the ministry. I want to submit this to you this morning. I believe that Paul had a specific reason for not allowing Mark this soon after his desertion of the ministry to go with them. I believe there there was a specific reason. And I want you to look back at verse 36 and verse 41 with me to see. He says this, in some days, Paul said to Barnabas, after some days, he said, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord 
and see how they are. See, this was something that Paul and Barnabas were involved with. Mark was not involved with it. Mark didn't have any idea of who these people were, where they were when they met them, what their spiritual conditions were, their life change looked like. He had no indicators. He had nothing to go off of when they would go back to these churches to visit and to see how they were, to see if they were growing, to see if some of these people they had met maybe took notes on, had maybe fallen away, had grown, had become leaders. Mark would have no idea. And say, yeah, but they could bring him along and he could be a helper. He could be a servant. He could learn as he goes. And, and you know, you got to just bring him along. Look at verse 41. He was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. They were going on a very clear strengthening mission. Maybe Paul thought, man, it's too early. We need a team. We need the people that are going with us that are going to help strengthen these new believers. We don't need somebody who is a novice himself. We don't need somebody who is, who is easily swayed. We don't need somebody who's emotionally unstable. We don't need somebody who's not going to help us actually disciple and strengthen. This was a strengthening journey, and the team was to be the one doing this. Again, if they were to bring somebody along that wasn't going to help in this process, it could have been detrimental to that missionary journey. And these, the, the disagreement was so sharp. These two partners, these brothers, parted ways. Who was right? Who was right? Well, I, I believe that Barnabas's heart was to see his cousin, Mark, grow and be given another shot. He needs help. He needs growth. He needs mentoring. He needs discipleship. And here's what I believe about Barnabas. It's just my opinion. Opinion based off of some other scriptures, and I'll share some of that with you. I believe he may have been skewed just a little bit by his emotions. Maybe family ties, maybe a mixture of both. So because of many of the factors involved, someone said it like this, and I agree. They said this, the weight of the evidence favors Paul's decision, especially since he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. That alone should have caused Barnabas to submit to his authority. The cool part is this, though. We know about John, Mark, and Paul. What about Barnabas and Paul, right? They were the team. What about these two guys? Well, what do we know about them reconciling? What do we know about them getting back together and being unified and being in the, the, the ministry together? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 he says this, or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Evidently, by the time of the writing of Corinthians, Barnabas and Paul had been reconciled. There was some type of connection in ministry here when, when they're writing. So when is the writing of Corinthians? The first, the first letter, about 55, 56 AD. So if the, first, or the second missionary journey took place around 52 AD, and then this letter to the Corinthians took place in around 55 or 56 AD, then now we're talking about an even a shorter amount of time that we know that there was some type of connection or reconciliation, or we can believe that there was. The important part is that God's plan is carried out even in there and in our shortcomings. But note, note this, they didn't stop. And they were reconciled. 
They didn't let Satan, they didn't let their flesh, they didn't let their emotions, they didn't let their thoughts, they didn't let their sharp disagreement keep them from reconciling and keep them from continuing to serve the Lord. They kept going. And again, eventually they got back in step with one another. And God blessed that. It's vital that we note that because this leads to point two in our notes. God's plan must be carried out regardless of our fleshly emotions. Regardless. Man, I'm just not feeling it. Man, I just don't like this. Man, this hurt my feelings. Listen, again, the Apostle Paul had been, he was even writing what we read a while ago. This person has left me to Timothy. This person has left me. This person has left me. No one's here but Luke. And man, Timothy, I really need you to come to me. I really need to see you again. I need your encouragement. And bring Mark with you, man. He's a help too. And Paul knew what it was to feel alone and, lo- and, and lonely and deserted and, and, and hurt and emotional and all these things. But he kept going and he kept serving. And, and when, as the leader, he tells Barnabas, hey, we got to go and do this. Let's go. And he said, I'm going to go get John Mark. He says, no, 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 don't, don't go get him. We've got this very specific, important work we've got to go do. So come on. And Barnabas says, no, man, I'm not going without him. He's my cousin. He's coming with us. I know he messed up before, but he's, he's cool now. No, 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 no. This is a very specific work. This is what we have to do. We're going without him. And they split ways. And, and again, there's emotions involved and all this kind of stuff. They move forward. We touched on this a little already. God has given us emotions. We have emotions, praise God. Those emotions are given to us, I believe, so that we can navigate life, navigate relationships, and enjoy life and enjoy relationships. We have happiness. We have love. I mean, think of our wedding day, the birth of a child, the birth of a grandchild. We have sadness. We have loss and hurt and mourning. We have anger when there's sin and injustice. So many more emotions that help us in life and help us in relationships and they're supposed to be used in a healthy way, but the difference in healthy emotions and not is the driver, the governor, and this is what we talked about recently. Are we allowing our flesh, our old nature, the sinful man, to govern our emotions, and in turn, allowing our emotions to drive our life, to drive our relationship, to drive our service to God? Do they dominate us? And does bitterness take a root in our, in our heart whenever something happens in our life that hurts us? And we say, you know what? Never again. Marked, noted, I'll never forget that. Whoa, that doesn't sound anything like what Scripture says. Do our emotions dominate us? Do we allow hurt? to be so fleshly driven and governed that it takes us to that place of bitterness. What about this? Do we allow sadness to be so fleshly driven and governed that it robs us of the joy and even takes us to a place of depression that God never intended for his people to be? Or are we allowing the spirit to govern our emotions? And are we learning as we're allowing the Spirit to lead and guide us in our life to have a balance between having emotions that are normal and not letting them dominate our minds and hearts and decisions and relationships? Romans chapter 8 is talking about this juxtaposition between the flesh and the Spirit. 
specifically in salvation. And it shows us there, there's a clear difference. In Romans chapter 8, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now pay attention to these next few verses, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. And the mindset in the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, Christians, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So there's a clear difference. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the spirit of God These are the sons of God. Again, verse 7, the flesh, the mind, the flesh is set against hostility against God. Verse 8, those who live and operate accordingly cannot please God. Whatever was driving Barnabas led to a division with what God had called for. And I'm not blaming Barnabas, and I'm not saying that Paul was sinless or had no wrong in this at all. But I believe he was maybe in just this moment emotionally driven. And the reason why I said that early, and I'm, I'm about to close, is something that happened a little bit later. We know this is something that Barnabas was susceptible to. Galatians chapter 2, for before certain men came to James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when these religious leaders, these Jews came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Again, we know that Paul was not perfect. Romans chapter 7 tells us there's times that he, he was doing things that he hated and, 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 and not doing things that he loved. And, and again, he was a human being and he was a sinner saved by grace. Paul, again, not flawless, not sinless. But we do know that Barnabas had this in him. But God's plan was still accomplished through, through him. God's plan because of Paul and eventually Barnabas stick to God's plan, regardless of the motions, would be carried out. I believe that Paul didn't allow in this circumstance emotions to keep him from pushing forward. He could have been brokenhearted about what happened with, uh, with Barnabas. He could have said, look, no, it's supposed to be us, not me and Silas. But he pushed forward. 
Was he saddened that the relationship with Barnabas changed? Maybe. Relationships change. But hopefully they change and grow. And I believe that's what we see with Paul and Barnabas. It seems that theirs was reconciled and it did get to a good and growing place. And that's a huge point. They got to a good and growing place. So you and I today must remain steadfast in accomplishing God's plan. The Great Commission, not allowing emotions, not allowing emotions to win, not allowing our flesh to have control of our emotions, not allowing relational hurdles to become relational barriers, but allowing those relational hurdles to become stepping stones to more fruitful ministry. This morning, let's be encouraged that God's plan will be carried out even in spite of our shortcomings. He's going to accomplish his plan. And he wants to use us. And he wants our hearts to be unified together so that he gets glorified and there's more fruit that abounds to his glory. That's what he desires. But there are times when we fall short. There's times when we miss the mark. There's times when we're not operating in our relationships the way that we should. And guess what? God in his grace and his sovereignty and his mercy and his power, God still accomplishes his plan. And that should be encouraging. But we should also be challenged to stay faithful to the work. Not allowing our emotions to stop us. Not allowing whenever we run across something where there is a disagreement, we run across something where there is a a difference, we run across something where, man, they hurt my feelings. Man, not allowing those things to become barriers. You know what? Let's make this right. Let's be like Paul and Barnabas. Let's be like Paul and John Mark. Let's reconcile and let's move forward so that we can see great victory in the days ahead. Again, we see these examples in Scripture, and I believe that we should follow them. Let's make sure that we are following the examples that God's given us. As I said this morning, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, if you're not 100% positive that heaven's going to be your home for eternity, please don't leave here today. We're going to have an invitation, and I'll invite you at that time. Uh, You can come down here, and we can take you privately to the side and show you in Scripture how you can do that. Uh, If you say, well, I don't want to come down front, you can grab us at the back before you leave. But please don't leave here without every single person knowing 100% that you're going to go to heaven when you die. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the the word that you've preserved for us. God, thank you for the message this morning, the encouragement that it is, the challenge that it is. Lord, we see this circumstance in Scripture, and it it brings the the humanity of the the men that you used so long ago to start the church age and and to start uh, church planning and missions and Uh, We see all of that, and it's encouragement, knowing that with our shortcomings, uh, you can still accomplish your plan. Lord, when we are driven by emotions at times, that, uh, God, you you still want us to push forward in faith. You still want us to, to move away from allowing our flesh to drive our emotions and to continue to move forward in the spirit and faith. And so, Lord, help us to, to gather these these lessons, gather the encouragement, gather the, the, the conviction or the challenge and respond in the right way. Lord, we ask you to just move now in this invitation. We'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as the music plays, I want to encourage you to come.